Welcome, one and all, to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast, and today's guest is Nathan Waterfield, and Nathan is a professional timber sports athlete, which means he competes in the Steel Timber Sports Series, which combines chopping, cutting, and use of some really jacked up saws to compete against the other best in the world at competitive lumberjack sports. And you may have heard of him before. He was featured in Men's Health for some of his workouts. And having worked out with him, I can tell you the man is one tough son of a gun. He's extremely fit. His wrists were about the size of my biceps. And he's a hell of a nice guy. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. And before we get to it, we have a few uh, coupon codes to give out. First off, for those of you who are Mountain Ops fans, you don't want to pay full price for your supplements, you can head on over to mountainops.com and use the coupon code TAG10. That's right, T-A-G-10, and get 10% off your purchase. Also, you can use the code GENTLEMAN at Outdoor Vitals and get a free inflatable pillow with any purchase, $50 or more. And it's a pretty great pillow. I've been using Outdoor Vital stuff most of the winter, and they make some really cool gear as far as sleeping bags, and their, uh, I can tell you right now, the little inflatable mattress, little mat that you lay on when you're camping, they make a three-inch one, and it is phenomenal, super comfortable. Give it a try if you're in the market for one. Also, if you use the coupon code nbh gift at checkout for maven optics you can get some free maven swag with your order also we have a new one for alpin reels they make some pretty badass fly line and fly fishing reels and you can get 15 percent off by entering the code adventurous at checkout so enter the code adventurous it looks like it's in all caps and get 15 percent off your order so go ahead and enjoy the show if you are ready to take the hard road, the road less travelled, the path in life where the journey is more important than the destination, then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigour. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. This Gentleman Podcast and today's guest is Nathan Waterfield. Nathan is one of the top competitive lumberjacks in the world and he competes in the Steel Timber Sports Series. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Will. So, how does one get involved in competitive lumberjacking? Well, um, I started in college. So, I went to uh, SUNY ASF. Um, State University of New York, College of Environmental Science and Forestry, and they uh, they have a branch campus in Wanakena, New York, um, like up in the Adirondacks, and um, you know that campus is very small. There's only 40 students um, in you know enrolled in the school for each year, and um, you know not a lot goes on aside from school it's it's a pretty intensive um you know pretty intensive academic schedule and there's a lot of field work that goes with it and um so they don't really have you know sports offerings or um 
a lot of like other things to to kind of give yourself a break. And um, I did, uh, you know, I played football, I ran track, and I wrestled in high school. And when I got to the ranger school, I really missed sports. Um, they had a little gym, which was basically a treadmill and and a pretty old set of free weights that was like the sand and the plastic weights. And so, um, you know, I was looking for something and, and was talking with some of the other students about, you know, what they had done at their other colleges because uh, we had all transferred from somewhere, mostly. And uh, anyways, long, long story short, one of the female students there competed on a woodsman's team at Finger Lakes Community College, and she was telling me all about it. And she said, you know, we could go to one of those competitions. We could practice, and, and I, you know, I know what to do. So we did it, and um, we went to a competition, and and we were, I wouldn't say we were an embarrassment, but uh, we definitely were out of our league. I mean, these schools you know, train and practice together. They've got all the, the right equipment. Um, but that was my introduction to the sport. And then, you know, I pursued it pretty pretty seriously through college, especially once I got to main campus in Syracuse when they have a formal team with, you know, with equipment and um, no coach, but, uh, you know, other students on the team that knew quite a lot. Um, about the sport, and some of them even competed in the the New York State Lumberjack Association, which is kind of where I got my first taste for, like, quote, professional competition. So you were kind of like the bad news bears for the start. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much, definitely. You know, we we rolled up, um, and we're, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, we were wearing steel toe boots and, and everybody had a beard and, you know, not one of us looked like a typical athlete at all. Um, and so, yeah, Bad News Bears is a pretty good description. And what kind of events do you compete in for the Timber Sports Series? So the the Steel Timber Sports Series is kind of like the premier of our of our sport. Like it's you know it's the definitely NASCAR. yeah exactly. You know you can compete like all over the country and and do other things, um, you know that are similar to the sport, but maybe a a wider array of events um, and that sort of thing. Uh, but the timber sports is is something that uh, Steel has created where we do six events, and it's, you know, the best guy who's good at all six events. Alternatively, you know, we do events like up in Boonville, New York, where, you know, I can go out and win the springboard, and I win the springboard. And it's you know, one event of, of, a of a decathlon, you know, the, the steel event is all about your all around performance and how you do over the course of the six events and also how you compare against the other six guys, um, or your eight guys or sometimes, you know, there can be 10 in a pool of guys, but, uh, we competed in some pretty awesome venues. Um, I've had, you know, the, the chance to compete for the U S team 
um, internationally three different times. Um, you know, in uh, one one time it was in Austria in an, uh, the um, Olympic Stadium um, where they had had the Olympics. I don't know which year it was. Um, and then we were in the Mercedes Mercedes Benz um, Stadium in uh, in Germany in Stuttgart, Germany, and um, the atmosphere at these events and, and all the steel events really are, um, it, it's made it's made for entertainment, you know. It's um, a little bit of WWE, but it's all real, you know. <laughs> you really got to beat each other. <laughs> There's no script to follow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what are the events that make up the uh, series? You said there's six of them? Yep, yep, six events. So the Steel Series, three chopping events, three sawing events. So the first three chopping events are, um, you got the underhand chop, where, simply put, you, you stand on top of a log and you chop it in half. You cut halfway through the front, turn around and cut halfway through the back. Um, the standing block is the same principle. I mean, all the events are basically to cut one piece of wood into two. Um, but in the underhand, we cut, um, yeah, so I said the underhand, you stand on the block. Standing block kind of simulates the felling of a tree, sort of. So there's a block that's fastened to a stanchion vertically, and you chop halfway through the front and then, you know, finish on the back. The springboard is an event that mimics um, kind of like the old technique where, especially on the West Coast, where, you know, the bases of trees were so enormous that they didn't even have saws long enough to be able to get through. But not only that, you know, they couldn't move the wood that was that big, and it made some pretty gnarly lumber, even if they could. So they would use these springboards. They'd cut notches in the tree and essentially create a scaffolding to work off of. You know, and they'd be up, you know, twenty some feet working on this this scaffolding, and um, to to fall the trees. So our version of that is, it's a nine foot pole, and we cut two notches in it. And you know, you cut a notch, stick a board in the tree, jump up on that board. From that board, you cut another notch, jump on that board, and then you know you chop the log in half. So your feet are at like. Oh, a little over six feet off the ground, um, and your head would be, you know, whatever, 12 feet off the ground. And uh, you chop a log most of the way through on your strong side, and then you actually turn around on the board, and you cut the log off from the back. And do you have to turn around, or is it just more efficient to turn around? It's more efficient. I have seen guys where they just kind of uh, like slide their hands around and they kind of hack it off on the back. Um, but uh, as of late, especially in the last three or four years, like, you know, the, the talent level is always steadily increasing. And um, with that, we end up having some races with bigger logs. And it's really hard to just kind of hack a log off the back. Um, so many of us are learning how to cut switch-handed. So you know, we'll switch and then start chopping left-handed, um, which is, you know, can be pretty difficult for a lot of guys. But anyways, the other three events in the Timber Sports Series are the single buck, which is like, you know, the 
it's a crosscut saw. It's it's not the crosscut saw that like you see hanging over a fireplace or in the barn. It's it's a saw that is built for racing, like specifically. And these are custom made um, saws that are they're very hard to come by. You know, like <clears throat> I mean, literally, if you had even if you had the money, if you had three thousand dollars and you wanted a saw, you couldn't buy it because it takes there's a, a waiting list at a minimum a year, but most good saw makers have a three-year waiting list. So anyways, the, with the single buck saw, you know, there's a horizontally mounted log and you, you cut a disc off, which, you know, we call a cookie or a disc. And, um, yeah, so hopefully you get a good picture of how the single buck works. Um, but you just picture one guy, you know, sawing away. Yeah. And then, the uh, fashion style saw. Exactly, exactly. And then the other two the two other sawing events are power sawing events. And so um, the stock saw, which is always coined like the great equalizer, so everybody uses the same saw, um, or there's two saws, but it's the same saw, match wood, and it's all about operator. Um, and so you make one down cut followed by an up cut, and that's done within four inches of wood. And you know, it sounds like a lot of wood to, like, cut two discs off, but when you're trying to go as fast as you can and, you know, you got got all the pressure there, it's not always as simple to just cut two discs off and four inches of wood. Um, and then the last one is is the open modified hot saw. And so that's uh, basically, you know, it's kind of the, the, uh, the funny car or, you know, the mod the mod event, um, they're big, loud saws. They're not even, the motors from these saws are, are half of snowmobiles or dirt bike motors with tune pipes. There's no, uh, you know, it's, um, direct drive, no, no, uh, what do you call it? No clutch. Um, you know, and, and, the objective for that race is to make three cuts on a horizontally mounted log, a bigger one than the stock saw and, you know, three cuts in six inches of wood, um, which is even more difficult. Uh, the, my saw weighs 65 pounds and, um, you know, it runs about 10,000 RPM and it's, um, it's a lot to handle, you know, you making three cuts with all the vibration and, and, um, you know, trying to do it as fast as you can and typically under six seconds from a cold start, um, it's pretty difficult. So, um, you know, and that's, that, that event itself is probably the, the biggest investment that we have to make, um, as uh, timber sports competitors in terms of, of, of equipment. Um, but also you end up investing a lot of time in these things because it's a motor and it's a racing motor for that matter. So you know, you're, you're messing with fuel ratios and, and temperature and pressure. And, um, you know, it's enough to think about, let alone doing the other five events. So often, you know, these younger guys that, that can chop and saw and they're coming out of college, as soon as they get introduced to, to hot sawing and they kind of get the bug, their, uh, their performances in the other events start to fade away for a little while because they're so consumed by these hot saws that, it literally could be an event in its own. And and I've seen that a few times and it seems like a lot of times it'll come down to the start. 
Like if you don't nail that start, the event's over. The other guy's already made the cuts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's if you don't start, yeah, forget about it. Like it, if it takes you more than a second to start your saw, forget about it because it's it's gotten to the point where you know the races are being won by by hundreds um, of a second. You'll get two, three guys that are all you know cutting five eight. Five eight five, five eight four, five eight two. You know, um, and it's it's that that tight of a race, and and the motors are are getting bigger and stronger. But also, you know, when a guy does well with a motor, um, other guys pay attention, and then the next thing you know, the next year they've got a motor just like it. And um, word gets around; it's a small community, so um, you know, not. There are a lot of secrets, but not everything's secret as well. So, um, kind of inevitable that the the whole sport gradually kind of progresses to the point where that's where we're at. You know, everybody's winning by such a small margin. So the day somebody shows up with like a Volkswagen engine, the next year everyone's gonna have a Volkswagen engine on their saw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they've they've um, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to me because they've. You know, the sport, this is uh, over 30 years the sport has been going on. And um, the, you know, for a while, like, I guess it started with modified chainsaws and then guys started building saws that resemble what we have now. And they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and then, you know, you had guys running 500cc saws, which you know, they couldn't handle much else um, just because the amount of torque and vibration and the chains were, like, blowing up. Um, so they they kind of got to the point where they found found that breaking point where the motor was way too big for what, what you needed it to do and then kind of regressed back, and then it got more more about not just the displacement of the motor but more like how can you get the maximum RPMs out of a saw with with smaller displacement, um, you know, be able to to keep the chain from having to come apart. So, and it, do they limit like how big or how wild these things can get, or is it kind of the the whatever? only real rule? The there are written rules kind of in terms of safety, but in terms of like size of the motor or what you can use, it has to be a single cylinder. Um, single cylinder motor that's started with manpower. You know, you can't can't have a battery pack starter or something like that. You need to physically start it and operate it, you know, by hand. Ah. And do you have a favorite event? Um, springboard is definitely my favorite. Um, I really enjoy all the events, but springboard is the one event where if I do well in the springboard, um, you know, I could have kind of a debacle for the rest of the day and I would still be somewhat happy with myself. Um, it's, uh, it's an event that takes a lot of, a lot of skill, um, and accuracy and it's, uh, it's not just about physical strength. I'm relatively small. I weigh about 200 pounds and I'm relatively small. Uh, compared to the rest of the field. Um, there are a few guys that are my size, but in general, you know, the the common athlete is, 
is bigger than me, and they can get away with strength, um, strength over form in some of the events. And you know, they still have decent form, but their strength allows them to kind of get away with some things that that I can't. Um, you know, I have to be a little bit, a little bit more disciplined in, um, you know, how I, how I uh, do the events. In other words, there's no days off for you. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that. I wasn't going to mention it, but I did notice some of these guys are some pretty big boys compared to you. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, some some real big boys. I mean, there's there's guys, you know, 260, 270, even bigger than that. Um, you know, there's, there's one guy, Chris Bradshaw, um, who's actually a log buyer and uh a bit of a joke going around they they uh the mill won't buy logs that are uh, small enough that he can pick up by himself and um <laughs> this this guy's a house i mean he's a an avid power lifter um i don't know the numbers but he is just one strong dude you know and i i feel extremely small around him it's it's interesting cuz i because I spend a lot of my, you know, like recreation time around these guys doing the competitions, um, I forget that I'm still like somewhat big of a person, like compared to, I don't know about the average person in the country, but you know, like when I say I'm 200 pounds to most people, that's like pretty big, you know, whereas, um, in in our sport, yeah, it's it's. I feel like it's more like, uh, you know, a hundred and I would be compared more to like your average hundred and sixty five pound, you know, guy. <laughs> You're the little guy, <laughs> right? Yep. And so, what if say somebody like just an average person wanted to get involved in these sports? Is there a way to do that, or is it one of these things you really got to come out of college doing? Um. Anyone can get started, and that's what's great about, like, the New York State Lumberjack Association, which, you know, we have a web page and Facebook and all that. Um, we've got, I would say, about 140 members, um, and we do, on average, six competitions a year, a year in New York State. And, you know, you can go to one of these events, and somebody would probably might be hard pressed to like loan loan out a piece of equipment right off the bat, but you could at least go to one of our events and talk to someone and say, Hey, I'm really interested in getting into this sport. You know, what can I do? Um, you can always pick up like a used axe, you know, at a competition to get started with, um, and make contacts that way. Um, but you know, say you were to buy, like you can buy axes online. Um, you know, or find them, find them through the association and you train yourself up a little bit and, and go to any one of our competitions. There's no restrictions on who can sign up. We have a handicapped, um, underhand chopping event, which is kind of a good place for a lot of people to get started with the chopping. So, you know, we've got, got guys who have competed like all of their life and they're now, you know, nearly 80 years old and they're cutting in the handicap starting off of a count of, of four. And then you've got uh, a 14 year old, 15 year old, 
uh, young boys chopping right next to them on the same mark, total opposite ends of the spectrum. And, and then everything between, you know, guys will have to wait 45, 50 seconds before they can start chopping, um, to give everyone a fair go at it. So it's, uh, the handicap system is very, very cool, somewhat unique to, to the New York State um, Lumberjack Association event. And uh, it's, we, we always are looking to get more people involved in the sport. Um, it's a real, real fun thing to do. There's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of history involved with it. And just to try and keep our, our sport alive and growing, the more people we get involved, the better. I tell you what, I've been thinking about it ever since the first time I went and watched it at the Boonesville Woodsman's Field Days. Yeah, yep. I, I was like, you know what? I think I got a little bit of lumberjack in me. Yeah, well, you have to come down to the shop sometime. I got a, <clears throat> I have a, a pole barn, and a third of the, the pole barn is uh, is sectioned off for a, a wood chopping stage. And we have uh, here wood chopping Wednesdays. So uh, throughout the winter, especially Wednesday evenings, um, I've got a, a guy that works for me who's a competitor, and then another um, a professional guy that lives in Cherry Valley. Um, and then uh, Cobleskill, uh, SUNY Cobleskill has a woodsman's team, and generally some of their better um, athletes that are kind of preparing themselves to try out for the timber sports series they'll come and chop with us so it's kind of a fun get together like you know pretend we have a gym sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> a little bit closer to like the rocky style gym yeah exactly exactly and, yep. and here is my one and only concern and that is cutting my feet off <laughs> I mean that's a legitimate concern because you do not want to cut your feet off. I mean that that would be the end of your chopping career certainly. But you know we like we take a lot of precautions um, when it comes to that, and you know you don't typically start chopping just wail away at it. Um, and and even if we say okay yeah you're good to go, you know we have different uh kinds of foot protection even when i'm competing most of the time i wear a chain mail uh sock and um like a shin sort of guard and if something were to happen you never know you could you could slip your racing so something could could happen you have a mistake and uh you'd still probably break your foot if you hit yourself um but at least you wouldn't wouldn't cut it off because our axes are sharp. I mean, uh, kid you not, you, you can shave with them. So, um, cutting your foot off would not be really that difficult. Yeah, they're sharp. And from what I saw, what little investigation I did into, you know, how to get started and all this, uh, they're not cheap. This isn't no. the ax you go to, you know, Lowe's or some kind of lumber store and pick out, and all of a sudden you're off to the races. Yeah. No, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to get a decent axe for $350. Um, you know, a new a new racing axe fitted with a handle, which the handle is very important, um, just like a golf club. Like, you know, the shaft of the golf club is every bit of important as the head because the, the head doesn't do any work if the shaft is all crooked. So... 
um, with an axe axe handle, even though it, it may not, the material cost might not be um, as much as the the actual axe head. The handle is equally important, and especially for beginners, because you know if a handle is is crooked or laid over, and I'm trying to teach you how to hit in the same place every time. If the handle's crooked, well, you're going to have a very difficult time, you know, doing that. So, um, but yeah, anyways, like a good racing axe with a handle, it'd be $700. Um, even to get started, you know, you could get one for about uh, $350, something like that. And, uh, you know, ultimately every axeman's only as good as the axes they're swinging. So, um, I've got, well, at least that I could admit to about 35 axes. Oh, um, only, only 35. Some, <laughs> some others stashed away. I was about in, to say, is other... this the official number in case your wife is listening to this at some <laughs> Exactly, <point>? exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it happens. It creeps up on you. And, you know, I've got access for all kinds of wood. Like, we chop white pine. Um in the United States and Aspen and white pine and Aspen, you can use a similar ax, but to really be good, you, you need to have different axes for each kind. But not only that, hard pine, uh, soft pine, pine from Ohio, pine from West Virginia, pine from New England, you know, I've got different axes for, for even variations, you know, of white pine and then all the different events. So you know, the springboard axe is typically smaller than, than a standing block, and then the underhand axe is a little bit bigger yet than the two. So, um, you know, and that's just here. And and I last two years I've been down to Sydney, Australia, for, for what's kind of deemed the Wimbledon of wood chopping. And it's um, an 11-day competition in, in Sydney at Olympic Park. And... Um, I think the event has been going on for over 70 years or, or more, but, um, you know, they chop eucalyptus there and, and a few different species of eucalyptus. And, you know, I've got eight axes down there that just stay there, um, in Australia for when I go. And that's really not even enough. Um, you know, guys that, that live in Australia, top competitors that go to that, they show up to the show with um, a minimum of 18 axes. Gee. And, you know, they plan on breaking a few in the process. And um, with hardwood, you know, the and the racing is so, so serious over there, um, which, you know, there's a lot of world championships on, and it's they're $5,000 to win. So guys are risking, you know, $600 uh, cutting with, with thin axes that could, could break quite easily if they hit you know with not quite enough angle or if they found a knot in the log or something like that you know they're willing to risk you know six seven hundred dollars or more um in those races at a chance to to win five thousand so you know it's uh it's probably a lot like you know other obscure sports where there's not you know, yes, there's prize money, and then you can have some really good years or, or good events where, you know, you think you might be getting ahead. But the reality is, you know, to do to do something like this as a as a profession, um, 
you you would have to do a lot more than just compete. Um, you know, you would have to have to have whatever. I, I don't know what you'd have to do. There are some guys out there that are fortunate enough to be able to to travel around, but they're always on the road competing um, all over the world, going to all the big events, and and um, you know are are supported in in other ways, not just uh, from the prize money and that. And that's the thing. This isn't your full-time job for those listening. What do you do full-time? Um, well, I mean, like I'm a logger, I guess. I grew up, uh, you know, working with chainsaws with my grandfather and, um, you know, I forester by trade. I have a bachelor's and associates in forest resource management. And, um, over the course of time, I have like gradually progressed um, and kind of you know, progressed is the right word, but I, I have kind of um, fallen into doing a lot of uh, timber harvesting and I do a lot of residential tree work in the summertime, um, but currently now I'm um, doing a timber harvest project um, and that's, you know, pretty consuming. Um, you know, timber timber harvesting and, and logging is just as difficult as um, many sports, and uh, but it's um, it's an everyday thing. And you know, if you don't do well on one day, it means you got to do twice as good the next day. And if you have two bad days in a row, it's it's very compounding. Um, it's uh, it is challenging, and I I think that's kind of what I like about. Um, working in the woods and, and working with trees is that there's a new challenge every day. Every tree is different. Um, you know, every situation is different and, um, you know, much like, much like my sport, uh, you could be part way in, into this and things can drastically change and you have to be able to react and adapt, um, quickly. So, um, like I would love to to just you know compete. That would be pretty incredible to be able to just kind of be a wood chopper and and go to competitions and that sort of thing. But um, it might not be enough for me because it seems like you know I'm always looking for for challenges and and uh, they always seem to be connected with with wood and trees. <laughs> well, it sounds like you found the perfect job. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, I, I think you'll, there, there's other people out there. They, they say it's, there's, there's some sort of addiction when it comes to, you know, uh, with cutting trees and, and working with wood and stuff like that. I don't know. It, it can be captivating. Um, it's uh, funny as that may sound to some people. Um, but it is, I think it makes sense. Cause now I see a lot of, um, the uh axe throwing yeah people are getting into yeah definitely and it's you know it's like (sighs) i'm not surprised that the axe throwing has caught on um it it might be just like a a trend you know we we throw axe slightly different than what i think they're doing at these events we use a like i think they're using shorter so like they're more of a real hatchet. brief. Yeah, like real briefly about axe throwing. Like 
the longer the handle, the further you have to stand away from the object because, like, no matter what, when you throw an axe, it either needs to make one or two rotations. And, like, we stand 20 feet away with a 24-inch handle, an axe makes one full revolution and will stick in the target. You know, if you stand too close or too far away, the handle is going to hit, if you're throwing even close to where it needs to be, the handle's going to hit before it goes, or, like, the flat side of the axe is going to hit or whatever. So the axe has to make a rotation. And, yeah, I've seen a lot of the, like, hatchet-looking things where maybe they would stand 10 feet away. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's it's kind of cool that, that that's caught on, and I'm kind of anticipating, like, you know, when are we going to see at some of our events, you know, we don't do axe throwing in Timber Sports Series, but we do at Boonville and other real notable events throughout the year. And I wonder if we're going to see any crossover. Are we going to, you know, are we going to get the guys coming out of these axe throwing leagues to start coming to, to our events? Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. That that would be interesting. And I think it'd be help for growing the base. Yeah. You know, it's kind of yeah, like with definitely. archery. I think they say it's all the amateurs that pay for the professionals or something right. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to have a big base to have a bigger professional sport or a lot of people watching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, and it's, um, and yeah, any kind of exposure like that's good, um, good for the sport. And it's, it's, um, it's just kind of neat, you know, like there's a lot of history behind all the lumberjack stuff and, um, not a lot of people think about it cause it's not, you know, lumberjacking isn't, uh, isn't the same as uh, uh, all of like the real notable parts of our existence in the United States. But, um, you know, one point in time, like, you know, almost everyone worked in the woods in, in that field, like even farmers, you know, they spent a good portion of their lives clearing all the land so that they could just farm. Um, and the, the timber industry was a huge, a huge employer um, for such a long period of time that I think everyone has some sort of roots, you know, some sort of connection to uh, lumberjacking, um, you know, in their family tree. Now to stay in shape for this, obviously you're working full time. What's your training regiment like? So I, um, I use my work as much as I possibly can, uh, to help supplement my training. So like, that's one thing I do enjoy about like logging and, and the tree work and things like that is that, you know, I would probably be just happy if somebody would pay me, um, to work out in the gym eight hours a day. Um, but you know, like the closest I can get is to, to go out and be doing the work that I do because it's very physically demanding. Um, so when I'm, you know, when I'm logging, I'm always thinking about, about competing and, and wood chopping when I can and like, you know, anything from dragging the cable or, um, you know, like I will hike into the woods on routine. Like I'll physically run into the woods in the morning to get the blood flowing and get warmed up. Um, you know, just like any opportunity I can, even say I'm just cleaning up some firewood, you know, turning it into like a full rotation, um, 
you know, almost like a medicine ball routine where you pick up a ball from your far side and you pivot all the way across and lift up, you know, like you can turn any, any kind of normal real work in and, and simulate a workout, especially if you pay attention to form, um, and, and like technique. So, um, but aside from like, you know, my day to day and trying to keep after, you know, that, that sort of thing, I really enjoy doing kettlebell workouts. Um, kettlebell workouts to me are a great way to do a really, um, like a condensed full body workout in a short period of time. And you can do it anywhere you want, like basement, outside on the porch, like you name it. All you really need is one kettlebell and you can do some really fantastic workouts with them. And that's what's appealing to me is that with my busy training and work schedule, and we have two little girls um, and just so much going on, it's hard. I can't even fathom like being able to go to the gym uh, for just myself like we fortunately the last few weeks um you know after christmas we've started going to the sports center with the kids and in rock climbing and doing activities but it's all of them you know so like for me to, to break away and and do like a straight up workout at the gym just isn't completely feasible right now so anyway back you know with the kettlebells like it's there's just so many great exercises that um lend to kind of like you know the strength that i need um to compete in the sport a lot of forearm strength um you know the swinging all the swinging movements um really kind of like parallel our you know some of our our movements as we compete um you know, and a lot of foundation and core work. So, you know, like you're swinging a seven pound axe. So if you're standing on, I don't care how big your upper body is, if you're standing on toothpicks, um, that axe is going to pull you out of balance. So you have to have a strong, strong core and, and strong legs to swing that big axe. And if you, you know, the, the stronger your upper body is, it means that the more momentum, the harder you're going to be able to swing the axe. But once again, you have to have a base and a foundation to hold all of it. So, you know, the, the kettlebells, for me, you know, keep that all in check. You know, you're not going to overdevelop your, your biceps and triceps um, without, you know, keeping all of your core muscles in, in check and, and balanced, you know, when you're working with a kettlebell. And what would be your go-to moves with a kettlebell? Like your biggest bang for your buck? Yeah, I mean the snatch is is definitely the the go-to. The the snatch is like it just it's it's kind of like I don't know what if you, it's like the staple of 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 kettlebell. And when I do like for all of my kettlebell workouts, I like to do um, like. Uh, Oh, like, what do you call it? Like, kind of like a ladder. Well, not really a ladder, but it, I do two minutes on um, and 45 seconds off. Two minutes on, 45 seconds off. Interval. And then I'll, inter- there we go. Thank you. Um, so I'll do interval workout for like a half an hour. And, you know, every other 
every other thing will end up being the snatch on days where like, especially where I can't, don't really want to think that hard about what I'm doing and just kind of work out. I'll do the snatch, but, um, you know, I'll do, do a wide, wide array of, of movements. Um, you know, clean is still good. I'll do clean into a deep squat. Um, you know, the, the, you can even do, you know, sit up. You can do crunches with them. Um, <clears throat> there's a ton of ton of great movements, and they're all, you know, like there's a lot of great stuff online. Period for working out, but there are some great. I don't know of any specific, but they're just you know do a random search, and you can find some great kettlebell exercises and um, movements to get you going. And is that what a lot of guys are doing from training, or is yours unique uh, to you? There's, I know of some guys that have done uh, kettlebell workouts, but, like, kettlebell workouts aren't exactly easy. Like, they can be pretty pretty grueling and pretty, pretty hard on your forearms and stuff if you don't do it correctly. And a lot of people, I think, can be turned off by kettlebell because, like, their initial go-around with kettlebells is, like, really painful. Um, especially, like, I've I've showed some people, you know, and done my workout with some people a couple times, and, and their initial reaction is kind of like, you know, I can't, I can't do this, or that hurts, or there's a lot of form or technique that goes into this that, you know, I don't know if I want to spend, you know, the time trying to learn it. Um, and you but, know what I think would get a lot of bigger guys is the mobility. Yeah, aspect. yeah, yeah, and the flexibility. And like, yeah, like you got to be able to when you do just a plain swing and all that. It it should help them, but I think you're right that their initial the initial feeling is like, yeah, my arm doesn't want to to go that far back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like I think there's a lot of guys that power lift. Um, you know, our, our sport is pretty explosive. The, the longest race is the springboard that goes for like 45 seconds to a minute. Um, the chops are done in, you know, 16 to 20 seconds. Um, the hot tub, like I said, is like the hot tub is basically like a clean, you know, you like clean the saw to the log and then you rip off three cuts. Um, and that's like almost all adrenaline anyways. Um, but yeah, like so, a lot of guys do do the powerlifting, the explosive um, short burst workouts, um, and you know, I find that I can get a similar a similar result by just doing shorter length intervals with heavier kettlebells um, because we do do the repetition. Um, you know, even if the event is is only 10 or 12 seconds long, like in the single buck, for example, it's the same motion in and out, you know, for, for 15, 15 repetitions within that 12 seconds. So, um, yeah, but I, I would agree that, uh, the bigger guys may not really have the, the mobility to, to do the kettlebells. And with, the kettlebell training you've obviously done quite well because what did you finish this past year in the series well this year i had a bit of a slip up and i ended up sixth um 
two previous years I was uh, third, and that's in the in the nation. So uh, I had a pretty good go around. And then last year I was a little bit distracted, to be honest, and I didn't feel like I was quite as prepared um, as I had been in the past. And, uh, you know, that was like a time thing too. There's a lot of mental mental stuff that goes into to our competitions um, as well as all of like the physical training. And so, yeah, I was six, which is still not a bad finish. I mean, you could do worse than that um, for sure. Yeah. A lot more people did worse than did better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But that's pretty impressive for, for the small guy who's doing kettlebell training. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like I, you know, I do, I do do well. And I think, you know, attention to detail is big and, um, it helps that like, I, I do have my own business and part of it is so that I can get really serious when I need to for competitions, um, you know, and only work like a three day week and then spend a Thursday, you know, getting myself all my equipment prepped and ready to go. And then, you know, travel to a competition on Friday, compete Saturday, Sunday, you know, and get back and, and be like not that productive on Monday, even though I'm trying to do work. So, you know, then mm -hmm. it's like once a month, you know, we had pretty big competitions. There's a stretch for the steel series specifically where it's about six weeks where it's really, um, a lot of, I'm pretty competition minded. Um, I still have to do at least a couple days of work during the week, uh, to keep things going and afloat. Um, but I can get by with, you know, kind of like some part-time income, so to speak from the competitions as long as I'm doing well. It's really bad when like, you know, you're not competing well and you're not like that focused at work because you're distracted wondering why you're not competing well. And it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty tough. Um, it compounds. You know, I, I really, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I love our sport. It's, it's awesome, but there are a lot of sacrifices you have to make to be able to compete and to do, do well in it. And, um, it's easy to get turned off by it too because you know so much depends on how well you do i mean in any sport you know how well you do kind of affects how much you enjoy it and how much time you want to put into it but um you know you there are guys that especially young coming out of college that don't succeed initially and you know they look at like the amount of work that they have to put into it to get to where they want to be and often they're kind of like, you know, maybe I'll just go back to snowmobiling as my <laughs> hobby or, you know, something that, that I can just do at, at my leisure. Um, so it's, it's challenging. It's, it's, it's difficult. And there's, there's guys that, you know, some of the best, the, the best guys in the world, um, United States and the world are all third, fourth generation competitors. So, you know, their great grandfather was a competitor and all that knowledge and equipment and everything has been passed down over the years. Um, and it's a lot easier for them to get started. They get started younger. Um, and everything is a little bit more second nature 
to them uh, relative to like these guys such as myself that have picked it up in college. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a unique thing. I'm sure there's a lot of sports like that, maybe even racing and, and whatever, where, you know, when you get that family lineage, so kind of like, you know, soaked into, to one thing. I mean, the, the, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example, but you know exactly what I'm talking oh, yeah. about. It's, it um it makes it e- even more difficult to do well in our sport with that. Oh, I bet. And Nathan, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. If people want to check you out, get a hold of you, where can they go? Um yeah, like Facebook's the easiest thing. I'm on on uh Facebook. Um Nathan Waterfield, there's a an athlete page. Bucket's my nickname. Um and I do have an Instagram uh, account that I try and post some pictures on from time to time. But, uh, like, Facebook's a great way to do it. And, um, you know, any anyone here in the, that wants to catch some of the Steel Timber Sports Series action, the Northeast Qualifier will be held in Cherry Valley, New York, um, June, I believe it's the uh, 15th, 16th, and 17th. Um, so that the Friday evening. Um, the steel timber sports qualifier will be held on the stage in Cherry Valley. And, uh, it'll be the, the top 10, uh, guys selected from the Northeast competing and, uh, the, uh, top four will move on to the finals in Milwaukee. So, um, you know, not too far of a drive for, for those in the listening area and, um, definitely, uh, worth your time to come and check out a competition. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to take you up on a stopping down to swing that axe. Maybe we can do a kettlebell workout, too. Perfect. Perfect. That sounds good. Wednesday night. I'm in. (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) All right. All right, Nathan, you have a great day. For the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast, live your life with vigor.